0: Many people today are infected with what we would call, we might call the frets. Now the frets are a malady causing those infected to stay in a constant state of worry, anxiety, uh, and probably often filled with complaints. Now there are a lot of issues that can cause someone to be filled with the frets. The prosperity of the wicked can cause the frets. Many times people, Christians included, look at the world and they see that wicked people seem to prosper, often at the expense of good people, and they become infected with the frets. Because this prosperity many times not only includes financial prosperity, but it can include an increase in power, uh, breaking the law which, with what seems to be few or no consequ- consequences, and, and constantly causing injustice to abound. And so a lot of people will see the Wickedness prosper, they will see the injustice and the iniquity flowing out of them, they will see little to no consequences, nothing in their life that seems difficult or hard, and, and they become infected with the frets. They become angry, they become kind of complaining, they become worrying, what are they going to do, how is that going to affect us, uh, and it causes them to to stress and worry about that all the time. Another cause of the frets would be what we might just call the cares of life. Life on earth is often filled with many cares. There's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot we want to do. and, And really there's an awful lot that's out of our control. Sometimes we wonder how will we pay the bills? What will happen to our children? Will our wayward loved one ever come home? Is this sickness I'm feeling? Is it merely a cold or is it something worse? How can I possibly do all the things I'm expected to do? These are the cares of life and they can cause us to be infected with the threats. But right now, I would say in our time, one of the ones that I think is probably the biggest would be politics. Politics can for sure cause us to have the frets. Now, you may or may not have noticed, but we are in an election season right now. And it's a particularly contentious election. And regardless of which side of the political aisle we may fall, we are being told this is the most important, the most momentous, the most history-deciding election the world has ever seen. We're told if Biden wins, it's the end of America as we know it by the conservative pundits. We are also told but America just cannot survive another four years of Trump by the liberal pundits. Biden will turn America into 1980s Russia, but Trump will destroy the world because of climate change. If Biden wins, he'll turn over every city in America to add to the Antifa anarchists, but Trump will lead America into the fascism of white supremacy. The more the pundits talk, the more the frets abound in our lives. And the number of things that could cause us to have the frets really are innumerable. Each of us probably has different issues we tend to fret about. And while there are many things that can cause us to have the frets, the Bible does give us a cure for the frets. So tonight if you're here and there's an issue in your life or what you're seeing on the TV is causing you to be infected with the frets, and I want you to look at what we're going to talk about in Psalm 37 tonight to see the cure. So Psalm 37, we're going to read the first 11 verses that should be on page 429 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of the prosperity, because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to path. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place and it shall not be, but the meek Shall inherit the earth, and shall and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Title of the message is "Curing the Frets." Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come tonight, Lord, in in the midst of a time where if we don't have the frets at this moment. We know what it is to have it and we know when we turn on the TV tonight or we go on the internet and look at the news or we get on social media, there is going to be something somewhere trying to call on us to have the frets. Right now it seems the number one thing everyone and with any sort of power at all wants us to feel is fear. They want us to be afraid of what could happen. They want us to be afraid of what might happen. They want us to be afraid. And just listen to them and don't think. And and don't act in faith. And don't look to you. Father, as your people, as disciples of Jesus, we reject that mindset. We will not let fear control us. We will not let fear determine how we act or who we love or how we treat people. We will not let fear guide our thoughts or our actions or our attitudes. We will look to You. We will trust in You. And we will fight against the frets with every fiber of our being so long as we have breath and faith to fight. Fill me tonight with Your Holy Spirit and give me Your words to say. Help me to speak boldly and speak clearly and speak accurately. Have Your way in our hearts and strengthen our hearts in You. So we would be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. And we would not be afraid, because we do not have a spirit of fear, Your Word says. But of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. We pray these things in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Psalm 37 is obviously not our next Psalm. we were going to be in Psalm 5. But last month, on the 7th, Psalm 37 was the psalm I prayed on that day. And it sort of stuck with me in that day. And then it was a part of my daily Bible reading yesterday. And I thought a psalm starting with fret not is a needed study right now for our world. Um, Because again, so much of what we see and so much of what is being shouted at us is trying to make us afraid and make fear driven decisions. And so we see here we are told to fret not. Now we don't know much about what was going on in David's life because it is a psalm of David when he wrote this psalm. But we know one thing in particular. If you look at verse 25, he says, I have been young and now I am old. So it's written when David was old. Since it's written when he was older, it is written with the perspective of experience. David isn't theorizing in this psalm. David isn't wishing in this psalm. David isn't given a pie in the sky way things could be in this psalm. David knows what it is to see evildoers prosper. David knows what it is to be infected with the frets. He has fretted over evildoers. He has been envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And he's also found a way to overcome these frets. And this psalm is David's written remedy for the fear, the jealousy, the anger, and the complaints which often accompany the frets, It is, when you look at it, a very practical guide on how to overcome these feelings. The guidance is given here has been tried and tested and proven to be true in the laboratory of David's life. And of course, we know the story of David. David didn't live an ivory tower kind of life. David's not an old man that lived an easy life and set apart from the hardship and difficulties of the world. David was a young man taken from the sheepfold, lifted up to be king, and had many trials and hardships along the way. So what David wrote, he wrote what he knew to be true. He knew what he knew to have worked, and he knew what would help us in our day overcome the frets. Now as we see, it starts with fret not. But then David begins to give us some practical advice which will enable us to fret not, right? And I think that's important, right? He doesn't just say, don't be afraid because that's not helpful. Have you ever been angry and somebody said, calm down? Oh, that's helpful, right? Uh, or if you're discouraged, well, don't be discouraged. Oh, my gosh, I never thought about just not being discouraged. It's the same with the frets. If David had just said fret not, well, that wouldn't have been overly helpful. But David doesn't just say fret not, he says fret not. And then he begins to list some ways in which we overcome the frets. And as we look at the psalm, the way David points to, or what David points to for us to overcome the frets is the Lord. Right? Look at verse 3, trust in the Lord. Verse four, delight thyself in the Lord. Verse five, commit thy way unto the Lord. Verse seven, rest in the Lord. Over and over and over again, David points us to the Lord. David believes God. David trusts God. David has faith in God, and David has learned that it is faith in the Lord which cures the frets. And so, the key truth for tonight, for all of this, is faith. Cures the frets. And that sounds simple. In fact, it sounds so simple it can seem simplistic and almost like a cliché that has no real value. But this psalm, these 11 verses, there's more if we covered all 40 verses verses of the psalm, but we're just looking at 11-ish of them, gives us some very practical ways faith cures the frets. It's both information for us to know, Actions for us to take. It is super practical. So three ways. Fret. The faith cures the frets. One, faith hopes in the Lord. Probably the the greatest reason we fret is because we are focused on right here and right now. This moment, this decision, this circumstance, this election... This trouble, this trial, this thing outside of my control. But hope, hope is not focused on right here and right now. Hope is focused on what something that will happen. Something that will come to pass. It is something in the future. The threats are focused Right now, I see the wicked prospering. Right now, the political pundits are scaring me. Right now, there's difficulties in my life. Right now, the circumstances are out of my control. Right now, I see the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. But hope reminds us these things will not always be so. Hope reminds us to look beyond what is right now to what will be someday. So... In this particular passage, there are two ways hope is described. God's promised future is laid out. First is, God's justice will prevail. Right. So fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against workers of iniquity. Why not? Why shouldn't we fret over the evildoers? Why shouldn't we look at those who are prospering and doing wickedly and say, I wish I had what they had? Because, David says in verse 2, they shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. In verse 9, David says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. But that's later. And verse 10, for a little while, the wicked shall not, for, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, though thou should diligently consider their place, and it shall not be. And what, what he's saying there is, for a little while the wicked prospers, but then they're going to not be. And even if you look for them, you won't find them. And and what he's saying is, God's justice will prevail this theme of God's justice prevailing is seen all over the psalm look at verse 12The wicked plots against the just gnashes upon him with his teeth. man that sounds bad but the Lord shall laugh at him the wicked for he seeth that his day is coming so the wicked attacks the righteous. But God laughs at that because He knows the day of judgment is coming. Verse 14. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent the bow to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay such as be of upright in conversation or lifestyle. That's bad. But, verse 15, the sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Verse 20. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, and they shall consume away. Verse 35, I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a green bay. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Verse 38, But the transgressor shall be destroyed together. And the end of the wicked is to be cut off. The main idea we need to understand from these verses is the wicked really don't prosper and gain power without consequences. They don't escape judgment forever. There's a, a show, I, that one of my favorite shows of all time, I've, I, know, I know I've made reference to it before, Doctor Who. And Doctor Who is a time-traveling, Space alien called a time lord from the planet Gallifrey. And in one of his adventures, he comes across a people called the Teselecta. And the Teselecta are time travelers as well. And their job is to go through history and find people who died, wicked people who died before they were ever brought to justice. And at the moments before their death, they are to inflict horrific pain upon them as a way to bring judgment upon them for their crimes against humanity. I fear many in our day have the same idea about the wicked that the Teselecta had. We see wicked people seemingly get away with their crimes. They die in peace and we lament that they have escaped judgment. We see this when someone is maybe executed for their crimes. And we say, well, they got off easy in comparison to what they did. Well, here's a hugely important fact for us to understand. They did not escape justice. They did not get off easy. And while they may have escaped earthly justice and seemed to have gotten off easily in an earthly sense, they did not escape God's justice. And they did not get off easily. From an eternal perspective. Evil will abound in this life. There is no getting around it. Evil will often prevail in this life. That's just the facts of the way the world is. The evil will often escape earthly human justice. But this life is not all there is. And while we may not see God's justice meted out. Hope allows us to rest assured it will be. There will come a time when the wicked are held accountable for their sins and their crimes. And their judge will not be a man, but God. They will not have a a high dollar legal counsel that can plead for legal loopholes. And can try to do things to to say, well this wasn't done properly and, and get them off. There will be nothing on that day and that moment but the pure justice of God. So as we see the wicked prosper, we don't fret because we know. Even if they get away with it in this life, there is a justice facing them. And the reality is the justice they will face in eternity is far more just and far more severe than any justice any human court could ever dish out. Hope sees the future and trust God's justice will prevail. But hope also realizes God's promises will be fulfilled. Right, look at verse nine For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord they shall inherit the earth. Verse eleven, but the meek shall inherit the earth, shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Those who patiently serve the Lord will find their hope fulfilled. Just as God's justice will prevail, God's word and His promises for His people also prevail. There may be things we miss out on in this life because of injustice, because of sin, because of wickedness which abounds. There may be things on this life we miss out on simply because we are disciples of Jesus. And there are some things we cannot do in this life which other people may do. But, there will come a time when all God has promised us will come to pass. And what we receive from the Lord then will surpass anything we may have had, held, or let go of in this life right now. God's promises to His people are so great, the Apostle Paul said that what is to come cannot be read, cannot even be compared or that what the suffering of this life cannot even be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. I mean, think how great it must be. Because the suffering of this life, I mean, this aren't, we're not talking like I stubbed my toe or I stepped on a Lego at night type of stuff. We're talking child dying. We're talking... Having being abused and real, legitimate, terrible things happening. And yet, when we get to heaven, and when we see our hope in Christ fulfilled, perfectly, completely fulfilled, we will not look back and be like, why didn't I get more? Why was this so bad? We will look and be like, it was worth it all. Whatever we endured, whatever happened was worth it when we see Jesus. Scripture never pulls any punches about the evil in this world. Scripture never pulls any punches about the reality of suffering in our lives. In fact, Scripture basically promises we will bear the brunt very often of evil and suffering. Scripture also promises this life is not all there is. There is a world to come. There is a glory to come. And it far surpasses anything this life has to offer. Faith cures the frets because faith keeps us grounded in hope from the Lord. Hope God's justice will prevail. Hope God's promises will be fulfilled. Secondly, faith trusts the Lord. Now the reality is the frets often come because we fail to trust in the Lord. The frets come because at times I think the the issues we're facing, the things going on, seem bigger than the Lord. We become infected, the frets, when our circumstances are out of our control. Because the circumstances being out of our control, if we're not Careful to focus properly will also make it seem as though they are out of God's control. And when the frets begin to overcome our faith, they begin to conquer our devotion and our service to Jesus. And so we have to let our faith cause us to trust, rest fully in the Lord. Now, faith, trust, it's always more than mental assent. This is an important aspect that we know because we've talked about it, we've seen it, we, we know our Bible. But faith is as active. Right? It's not faith to say, I believe in Jesus and yet live like the world. It's not faith to say, I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God and authoritative on everything in which it speaks, but but reject the parts that make my life uncomfortable. It's not faith to say, "I, I believe that people who don't repent of their sins and believe in Jesus go to hell, but never share the gospel. Faith moves us to action. Always. Faith is always active. And not passive, it is made of more than merely words. So, what actions do we take when we are trusting in the Lord? Well, we do good for the Lord. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Now, this is, I think, a challenging statement David makes. Because what he's saying is if I trust God, I will do good. But keep in mind, this is in the context of the frets. This is in the context of the wicked prospering. This is in the context of the wicked prospering, often at the expense of the righteous. So when there is injustice, and I'm facing the injustice, when there are problems, and they're in my life, what do I do? I trust in the Lord, and I do good. Trust in the Lord and continue to do good. That's a challenge. Because the frets again can overcome our devotion and our service to Jesus. And when we get the frets, we're tempted to give in, to give up, to let go, to to just sit back and whine and gripe and complain. And yet, that's not the biblical response or the biblical answer. Trust in the Lord and do good. But what about this in my life? Trust in the Lord and do good. Well, what about this injustice in the world? Trust in the Lord and do good. Well, what about the election? Trust in the Lord and do good. What about the pandemic? Trust in the Lord and do good. What about the economy? Trust in the Lord and do good. What about trust in the Lord and do good? David goes on to say, when we do that, we trust in the Lord and do good. So thou shalt, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Right. If we trust in the Lord and do good, we will experience the blessings from God. Now, I see this along the lines of what David writes in Galatians or Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9 about not growing weary and well doing. But right? don't don't be weary in well doing. For if you faint not, you will reap a harvest in due time. If we don't lose heart and we don't give up, our doing good will produce results, blessings, experiences from God in our life. But the key, the key is the not quitting thing. The not losing heart. The not giving up. But the unfortunate fact is many times we we only want to do easy things. We only want to do it as it's easy. We only want to do it while it's easy. We only want to do it if it's easy. And eventually, everything gets hard. No matter how wonderful anything may be initially, at some point, it gets hard. Great The greatest job in the world at some point is hard. The greatest marriage in the world at some point is hard. The greatest family with rearing their children at some point, it's hard. The greatest love for Jesus at some point, devotion gets hard. It just does. And if things get hard and we quit, we miss. And the frets... Add to the problem. The frets tempt us to give up. The threats teach us to say, what's the point? The more I try, the worse it gets. The more I serve the Lord, the harder my life becomes. The more faithful I am, the more difficult it is. And faith says, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't stop. Keep going. Those who trust in the Lord and do good will experience blessings from the Lord even in the time of the frets. So do good for the Lord, but also delight in the Lord. Look at verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I love this verse. This is a great verse. And one reason... It's because the great promise accompanying it. When I delight myself in the Lord, He will give me the desires of my heart. Now, take for a second and just think, what are the great desires of your heart? Are the desires of our heart a, a newer or better toy of some sort? Are the greater desires of our heart an, an easier life, more money, a promotion at work? Or, or are the desires of our heart To be closer to Jesus, to see a loved one saved, to see a prodigal restored, or or to be a part of something, to do something with our life that's bigger than ourselves. And I wonder, what do the desires of our hearts reveal about us? I think more than anything, the true desires of our hearts, they reveal what we actually delight in. Right, I've always thought the phrase delight yourself in the Lord was a great phrase. What does it mean for us to delight ourselves in the Lord? Well, if we just take it at face value, I think it means we find a high degree of pleasure in God. We find a high degree of pleasure in our relationship with God. We find a high degree of pleasure in the things of God. And we find even a high degree of pleasure in the will of God. So people who delight themselves in the Lord are are people like the psalmist who says that the law was like honey to his taste. He delighted in that. Or Jesus, when they wanted to give him food in John chapter 4, And he says, my food, my meat, is to do the will of my Father. He delighted in his Father. Or, or Psalm 63, that the psalmist writes that, that this is a, a dry and weary land where there is no water, so his soul longs for the Lord. He delights in God. And it, that would mean that our heart's desire would be more of God, to draw closer to God to know Him better, to serve Him more fully, to to bring Him glory in greater and greater ways. You know, when we delight in the Lord and we begin to draw closer to Him, something happens. Our desires begin to change. There will be a shift in the desires of our hearts. And what will happen is, What matters to God will begin to matter to us. Our hearts will sink with God's heart. I mean, and and if we're off, if we're awesome, no. If we're honest, I mean, just ruthlessly, brutally honest, wouldn't we say that often the desires of our heart more resemble the the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life than they do the heart and the will of God. And, And the thing is, God doesn't promise to give us those desires. He promises to give us the desires of our heart as we delight in Him. Now, delighting in Him, it won't mean that these other things are, don't matter. That we're just going to sit in church at the, our whole lives, we're just going to sit on the front pew of the church and read our Bible and sing songs and pray and that's all we'll ever do. That, that's not what it means. But it does mean as we look at the world and all that glitters and all that calls for our attention, how we view them will begin to change. They won't be the focus of our lives. We will see them as God sees them. And we will use them in the way God would have us to use them. They won't be the driving force of our lives, and they won't give us the threats. So faith enables us to Trust the Lord and delight in the Lord. And then thirdly, faith enables us to devote ourselves to the Lord. Look at verse 6. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust in Him also, and He shall bring it to pass. Commit our way. And really, that's a picture of all of our life. That that is is a picture of Commit everything in your life, your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, your money, your clothes, your time, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your home. Commit your life, all of your life unto the Lord. Surrender it all to Him without reservation and without holding anything back. So that His will about everything becomes our will about everything. And I think this really is one of the hardest things for us to do. Because it requires us to to have a massive shift from a, a self-centered life to a Jesus-centered life. Now, the reality is nobody would want to say we live a self-centered life. I mean, that's not, that's not... There's no way to put a positive spin on that and make that sound cool. Not really. It's just bad. But again, if we were just I mean, if we were just going to be ruthlessly honest about our lives, would we say we live truly a Jesus-centered life? Or would we say there is a lot of self-centered being going on in my life? Now, the thing is, a self-centered life isn't necessarily a sinful life. This is, I think, a hugely important aspect for us to understand. Self-centered in our life just means... We live for ourselves. And we do what, what we want to do. And we take little or no thought to what Jesus would have us to do. Not, not just in the, the great big things like, well, Jesus wouldn't want me to become a serial killer, so I won't do that. But it's in everything. I, if I'm self-centered and someone irritates me, then I, I rail on them. Because I, I ought to get to. I want to. But Jesus, would He want me to do that? If I'm self-centered and someone shares gossip with me, I'll share it with someone else because that's good, juicy stuff and I like to tell that sort of stuff. But if I'm Jesus-centered, would would Jesus want me to do that? I mean, that's the idea. Jesus-centered is Jesus at the center of of everything. And self-centered is just me. Now, can it be in sin? I, I want to go sleep around, or I want to be, do this, or I want to embezzle. Yeah, it could be that, but it doesn't have to be. I, I can be an extremely moral, self centered person. All I have to do is just do what I want to do, put myself first. In my life. Choose. I will not do anything that makes me uncomfortable. I will make my preferences and my convictions the standard for every other person in my life. I will choose to spend my money how I want. Even if it means I can't tithe. I can't give to missions. Or I can't be generous to others. It could mean any number of other things. But it always means the same thing. I am the center Of the universe. Of my universe. Now, you don't have to see me as the center of my universe. But I do. I know I'm the sun and everyone revolves around me. I know that. And so I'm going to live like that. And that is a very self-centered life. And Jesus calls us to live very differently from this. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow Him. I mean, I can't, I can't, you can't, we can't be the center of our universes and faithfully follow Jesus at the same time. It's not possible. There's only one center, and it will either be Jesus or us. And when we are the center, it will lead to a diverge from Jesus in some points and in some ways. But what's really interesting about this is we tend to think living a Jesus-centered life is the end of joy and it's the beginning of the frets. The reality is the frets come from living a me-centered life. Think Think about in politics. Why does politics give us the frets? Why do we fret over who's going to win the election? Because of what we will lose if the other person wins. Right? If, if I'm the center, then what it will cost me, what I don't like, what I don't want, then I have the frets. That's The frets come from when we live a me-centered life. But those who... Most consistently, live a, a Jesus-centered life. Experience the frets far less frequently than those who would live a me-centered life. They are confident in Jesus. They are living for Jesus. They're submitted to Jesus. They they know He'll take care of them, and this cures the frets. I watched part of a video today. There's a, a guy I've been watching us preaching, and he's a missionary. Not free will Baptist, he's simply a God missionary. He was born in Kenya and was raised on the mission field. The only time he's lived in America his entire life as an American is when he was in college and in seminary. His life outside of that has been lived in Muslim majority countries. He's lived in Kenya, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia. In other places like that, he has been beaten. He has been imprisoned. He has, some of the people he has led to Christ and discipled have been slaughtered for their faith in Jesus. And I watched part of a video today and he was like, don't worry about us. He was in Cairo. This was in like 2015. Don't worry about us. We're under the sovereign hand of God. He knew. I mean, this was the time that he was there, was when in, in Egypt, is when the Christians in Egypt were being beaten and dying. But he wasn't concerned. He had no frets for his life because he was living for Jesus. But if, man, if I had been there then and it was about me, I would be terrified at what I would lose, at the pain I would experience, at the loss I would face. But because he was living a Jesus centered life, he wasn't that concerned. A life focused on me will always give me the frets. A life focused on you will always give you the frets. And the cure for this is to commit all of our lives to Jesus. And while this will sound crazy and look crazy to the world at large, there will come a day when God makes it clear we have made the right decision. This is a part of what it means about God bringing it to pass and our righteousness shining forth as the noonday. No matter what others say about our decisions, if those decisions are committed to the Lord, there will come a day when it is made clear We made the right decision. Faith cures the frets by leading us to trust God. And then finally, and we'll cover this quickly because of time. Faith waits. You've got to be kidding me. Faith waits upon the Lord. Verse 7 and 8, David writes, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. One of the things the frets want is an immediate solution. Immediate relief. Immediate actions. Faith is confident God will help us in our time of need. Faith is confident the Lord will provide relief. Faith is confident the Lord will give answers. However, faith also knows the Lord will do these things in His own time. To rest... In the Lord, wait patiently for Him and fret not. That is a ridiculously hard command. I, maybe, maybe you're a more patient person than I am. But, I mean, I put popcorn in the microwave for three and a half minutes, and I'm, I'm like, hurry. Right? I mean, when I was a kid, it took an hour to cook a pizza. Now they can get it to your door in 30 minutes. And we think, good grief, that's the longest 30 minutes. I am not necessarily a patient person by nature. But faith, faith will enable us to be patient. Faith will enable us to wait because faith knows God doesn't necessarily do things on our timetable. I mean, there there are wonderful times where God does what we want, the way we want, when we want. Hallelujah, those are wonderful. But far more often, God doesn't do it in our timetable. God makes us wait. God made Abraham wait like 25 years for a promise He specifically gave to Abraham. Can you imagine waiting 25 years for something like a son to be born? The promise of children, descendants, as much as the sands on the sea, the stars in the sky, you're 75, there's no children, and God makes you wait another 25 years. But He did because He was Confident in the Lord. He believed in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. But you know what I think happened as he waited. He was reminded daily of his need for God. Because he knew. He knew he was too old. He knew Sarah was too old. And in the one time, they tried to do it in their own mindset. They made a horrible decision that brought terrible consequences. And they were reminded again, we have to wait on the Lord. I believe this is the main reason God makes us wait. Not because He's cruel. I don't even think it's always a timing thing. I think there's some times where the timing isn't right. I do think that. But I think by and large, it's God reminding us, I'm God. You're not. I'm creator. You're the creation. I'm the Lord. And you're the subject. Because nothing reminds us of our dependence on God. More than desperately needing God. And waiting day after day after day after day. Faith though can do that. Faith can wait and be dependent on the Lord. Faith cures the frets because it recognizes what God can do and it's okay with waiting on God's timing for it to come to pass. Faith is okay with waiting because faith knows it will eventually come to pass. So are you infected with the frets tonight? If so, there is a cure and its faith in the Lord. And while that is such a simple answer, it is not simplistic, it is not a cliche, and it is not necessarily even easy to do on a consistent basis. The best of us struggle with faith. The best of us Struggle to trust God in these ways all the time. Even faithful Abraham went to Egypt at one point, tried to do it in his own way. The father of faith, set up as the pillar and example of a good and godly faith, Abraham wavered at times. Struggling to hold on to that faith, it's not a sign we're terrible, it's not a sign we're not Christians. That's just a sign we're flawed people, devoted to the Lord, trying our best. And when we feel the doubts arise, and when we feel the frets coming, rather than giving in to them, rather than just setting in them, rather than just letting them overcome us, fight. Fight to believe God. Fight to hope in God. Fight to trust God. In God. And fight to wait. Upon God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. Worthy of our praise. And worthy. Of our devotion. Help us. Oh God. Not. To be infected with the frets. And where we are. Show us. And help us to. Do everything we can. To let our faith in you. Push the frets out of our lives. Show us if we are me-centered. Show us if we are delighting in something other than you. Show us anything that weakens our faith and hinders us from letting our faith conquer the threats that the world is seeking to throw at our lives right now. Fill us with your Spirit. Use us for your glory. Let us be bold and confident in our God. Help us. Help us in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.